Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you've given us to gather together as Mishpachah's family to worship before you, to meet with you, and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be you who uh, is speaking, that it will be your word that will take over in our hearts and our lives, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. And Father, I pray that you breathe new life in us this morning, that we may leave here changed and transformed for you and for the good of your glory and your kingdom. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Noach, uh, which uh, is Genesis 6, 9 through eleven thirty-two. This is... Um, the second Parsha in our Torah cycle, the second Parsha in Bereshit and Genesis. Uh, and as we can tell, we don't get very deep into the Bible before things got way out of hand, right? We have Adam and Eve in creation. We have the Garden of Eden. We have Adam and Eve sinning. Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And then we rush through to everybody on the face of the earth except for one dude is pretty well ruined. Uh, and that's how fast, that's, that's the, uh, the condensed version. That's how fast sin can, can uh, kind of spread and this, this disease of sin can spread throughout humanity. And uh, what we see in this week's Parsha is this idea that there is in fact this one guy, as we read at the very beginning of the Parsha, this one guy named Noah who God says is uh, a Zadik. He's a righteous one out of everyone that's alive. He is a Zadik. He is a righteous one. He seeks after the way of God's heart. And what's really interesting here in a number of different ways is the way that we see almost the innate reality of the word of God being a core part of the DNA of humanity, right? Because we are, are breathing the breath of life, which God breathed into our lungs, the same breath, the same ruach in which the, the word of God was inspired to be authored by the, the various authors of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And so as such, that means that his breath that inspired that word is actually a part of who we are. It's a part of our being. And so when we look, for instance, at Cain and Abel, we see that they knew what a right and wrong sacrifice was. And we could tell that in the reactions there. We can look at Adam, or at Noah, rather, and we can see that with Noah, God says, I want you to bring so many clean and so many unclean animals in the boat. Well, where does God say in the word of God before Leviticus 11 what is clean and unclean? It's clear that his word is an innate reality in humanity. It's an innate reality in, in us as God's creation. And so that's how we are able naturally to know right from wrong. And so we see this in this week's portion, this idea of God being uh, uh, a uh, a God who is active, who is interactive in our lives, a God who speaks to us, a God who moves in a mighty and powerful way, and a God who draws forth the reality of his word that is in our lives in a way that we can never understand. Uh, and so as we open up the word, I want you to go ahead and turn to, to Genesis chapter 7, beginning of verse 6. Genesis 7, beginning of verse 6. We're going to skip into the actual narrative of the flood, and we're going to dive right into what's happening here. Noah, uh, now Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, water upon the land. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters of the clean animals and unclean animals, the flying creatures, and everything that crawls on the ground. Two by two, they came to Noah into the ark, male and female, just as God commanded Noah. And the seven day, uh, and uh, after the seven, seven days, the flood waters were upon the land. 
and what we see here is uh, this idea of God beginning to work on Noah and telling Noah, hey, there's this huge storm coming. Water's going to come over the earth like you've never seen before. As a matter of fact, Jewish tradition says that part of the call that Noah received was actually to preach to the nations around him, the world around him, as he's building the ark and tell them, look, get your crap together, get on the boat, let's go. We gotta, the, this is coming and that the, the, the people around him were going, dude, you're crazy. What's this rain that you're talking about? We understand this. It, it's outside of our, our, our mindset. We can't grasp this. What's this flood you're talking about? I don't understand what you're, and they made fun of him until ultimately it was just Noah and his family that were willing to get onto the boat. And so here we see God commands him, build this, this ark, build the, he gives them the exact parameters of it, tells him exactly how to do it. He's 600 years old at the time of the command to build the ark. Then we go forward to verse 21. Uh, it says, uh, this is after the waters have begun to, uh, to come upon the land. It says, all flesh perish. Those that crawled on the land, the flying creatures, livestock, wild animals, all creatures that, swam, that swarm upon the land and all humankind. Everything that had the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on the dry land died. So he wiped out all existence that was upon the surface of the ground, everything from people to livestock to crawling creatures and to flying creatures of the sky. They were wiped off the land. Only Noah and those with him in the ark survived. The waters overpowered the land for 150 days. Verse 1 of chapter 8, Then God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. So God caused a wind to pass over the land and the water subsided. Also the source of the deep and the, wind of, and the windows of the skies were closed up. And the rain from the sky was held back. The waters kept proceeding, receding gradually from, under the, uh, from upon the land and the waters decreased by the end of, the, of 150 days. The ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the, the mountains of Arat. Uh, the waters went on to decreasing until the 10th month and the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were uh, appeared. And this is where things start to get interesting. Anybody in their life ever felt God lead you to do something? And, and you have this calling, you have this passion, you have this burden to follow the will of God in your life, but it doesn't happen and come together as quickly as you had anticipated as quickly as you thought things were going to go. You know, a lot of times we hear God tell us in our heart, I want you to do this, whatever it may be. And our expectation is, sweet, let's go do it now. And sometimes God going, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you. The time's coming, but today's not the day. I'm just preparing your heart. There's this thing I want you to do, but it's going to take time to get there. I need you to work with me to get there so that you're ready for it when the time comes. But in our minds, we instantly go, God wants me to do this. Let me go do it. We make a complete mess of everything, right? Well, here we see Noah. God calls Noah to build this ark to, to save the, the, the last kind of remainder of humanity, if you would. The, there's this redemption idea that's going in here as all of humanity had fallen except for uh, Noah and to some degree his family. We can see later in this Parsha that at least one of his sons still ended up being a train wreck uh, and that all of the rest of humanity through them became train wrecks, but that's a different story. But as we're looking at this, what we see is that Abraham, Abraham Noah was considered uh, righteous in the midst of everything that was going on. So God calls Noah, he places this burden on his heart and through Noah, he's gonna save humanity. Through Noah, he's gonna bring this redemption idea, which is a foreshadowing of the work that Yeshua would ultimately do. And so as Noah builds this ark and he begins this journey, all of a sudden the water start to, to come the the waters of the deep open up the waters from the skies come down everything changes everything begins to uh to flood the boat starts to rise and noah's on this boat with all of these stinky animals uh which is why there's ventilation at the top because i imagine they started to stink pretty quick um but he's on the boat
boat with all of these animals and he's on the boat with his wife and his sons and his daughter, daughter-in-laws. Uh, and as all of this is happening, I imagine Noah is sitting there going, 40 days of rain, 150 days of the waters coming up from underneath, another 150 days before he stops the waters from coming. And then finally the waters start to recede, but it's not receding very fast because it's got to go somewhere. Uh, And they're sitting on this boat, I imagine, as they're pushing three quarters of the way through a year, sitting on this ark, longing for whatever God's got next to finally come up, that there are times in Noah's life where he's going, did I really do this? Should I have really done this? God, you said you were going to save us. I didn't think it was going to take this long. I didn't think it was going to take this long for this to happen. I didn't think it was going to take this long for us to get to this place. I didn't think it was going to take this long for us to get off this stupid boat and get rid of these stupid animals and be able to eat real food again. I didn't think it was going to be this long before we could walk on ground that didn't shift underneath us. But in the midst of this, we see what Noah does next in verse 6 of chapter 8. It was at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. Then he sent out a raven. And it kept going back and forth until the waters were drying up from the land. Then he sent out a dove to, which, uh, to, to see whether the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove did not find a resting place for the sole of her feet. So she returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole land. He stretched out his hand and he took her and brought her to him in the, into the ark. So he waited yet another seven days. And again he sent the dove out from the ark. The dove came to him in evening and surprisingly a fresh pl- freshly plucked olive leaf was in its mouth. So Noah knew that the waters had receded from the land. After he waited seven more days, he went out, the, uh, went out uh, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. It was in the 601st year, in his, the first month of the first day of the month, that the waters had dried up from the land. Then Noah removed the cover of the ark, that he, uh, and he looked, and behold, the surface of the ground had dried up. By the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the land was dry. Now notice in all of this, God never told Noah to send these birds out. God never told Noah to try and rush the process. Now, this isn't to say that Noah did anything wrong because Noah didn't just nosedive off the boat when he thought everything was safe, right? He didn't just rush into the crazy of trying to make God's will a reality. But nowhere in the word does it tell us that God told Noah to do this. And so Noah's trying to, to see how far he can push the boundaries, if you would, on, on, on making God's promise become a reality. Noah's getting impatient, I imagine, sitting on the ark as he's longing to walk on dry ground again. As he's longing, you know, I get images of Noah coming off of the ark, and I kind of picture uh, uh, those making aliyah to, uh, to Israel, returning back to Israel as they climb off the El Al plane. And the first thing you see is they drop to their knees on the ground, and they're kissing the tarmac because they're finally on the ground in Eretz Israel in the land of Israel which has been their yearning to come back and I imagine in my head Noah having this reaction when he finally got to put his feet back on solid ground again but in the midst of this there are plenty of times I think in Noah's life in which his yearning was for what God told him was going to happen to finally come true right there's this promise I'm going to recreate all of humanity through you I'm going to restore all of humanity through you And Noah's sitting here on the boat with his three sons and his three daughters-in-law and his wife and all of these animals. And there's this almost year-long process waiting just to be able to get back off the boat. And he's stuck in this pattern, this this, uh, cycle around where he can't get out of this boat. He can't get out of the ark. He can't get out of what's right in front of him. But he's yearning for what's just on the other side of God's promise. Because God has made a promise to him. And I think a lot of times we are very much like Noah. 
A lot of times God gives us a call and we know that there's this huge thing uh, waiting for us and it's in front of us, this huge thing that we want to chase after. But in the midst of all of it, we don't know how to be patient and to wait. Because sometimes those callings, sometimes those things that God has in store, it takes time for us to get there. Not because God can't just hand it to us, but because God knows our heart and he knows if he just hands it to us right then and there, we aren't going to be ready, we aren't going to be prepared, and we may very well ruin because we're going to try to run ahead of what he's wanting to do. And so there are times where that process of here's God's promise, here's where I am now, and I just want to get over there, and God's saying just be, just be patient, just wait on me. And we spend that entire time crying out, God, why not now? Why not now? We're sending out the raven. We're sending out the doves. We're sending out the doves. We're sending out these things to examine to see if what God has said is really going to happen. Has it happened yet? Are we there yet? Can we finally move forward? And the whole time God's just simply saying, be patient. Wait on me. Verse 15 of chapter 8. Then God spoke to Noah saying, come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Every animal that is with you uh, of all flesh, including the flying creatures, livestock, and every crawling creature that crawls on the land, bring out with you and let them swarm in the land and be fruitful and multiply upon the land. So Noah came out with his sons, his wives, uh, his wife and his son's wives, every animal, every crawling creature, every flying creature, uh, everything that crawls upon the land came out of the ark in their families. Uh, then Noah built an altar to Adonai and he took of every clean domestic animal and of every clean flying creature and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. When Adonai smelled the soothing aroma, Adonai said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Even though the inclination of the heart uh, of humankind is evil from youth, nor will I ever again smite all living creatures as I have done. We see that when it was God's timing, notice God closed the door of the ark and only God could open it up again. God sealed the door of the ark so that the waters wouldn't rush in and only God could open that ark back up. But it took time, it took patience to await for God to open that door. Moses, Noah took it upon himself to send these birds out to test to see if things were ready. And that doesn't mean that he was necessarily in the wrong for doing it. But no matter how many times he sent something out of the boat to test, it really wouldn't have mattered until God opened the door for him to move forward. We sit here in our lives so often yearning for the next phase, the next step, the next promise, the next thing and the call that God has given us. And we're constantly trying to push forward. And sometimes God's just saying, I haven't opened that door yet. I've told you what's on the other side. I told you what's coming. But wait for me to open that door up. Wait for me to say now is the time to move forward. We go to Psalms chapter 13. Uh, Psalm 13 rather, verse 1. And this is the heart of David who we read over and over again. In the Tanakh is called a man after God's own heart. This is a man who has suffered as much as anybody could suffer under the the rulership of Saul as he awaited patiently for God to uh, elevate him to the the anointing that had been given to him and he waited patiently for that to occur Uh, but here in Psalm 13 we see even in the midst of David waiting patiently for God's fulfillment of all of the blessings and promises that he has promised to him that these words come forth from David's heart and this is actually from a period in time uh, in which David is is still kind of sulking if you would in the fact that he has sinned and he's messed up and he's done all these things but here he says in verse 2 how long Adonai will you forget me forever 
How long will you hide your, or will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How, how long must I have cares in my soul and daily sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, Adonai, my God. Lift up my eyes or I will sleep in death or else my enemy will say I've overcome him and my fo- foes will rejoice because I am shaken, but I trust in your loving kindness. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to Adonai because he has been good to me. David says, how long will you forget about me? How long will you leave me out here? Did David really think God forgot about him? Not in the least. Not even remotely. David knew better. But yet he's still on that human side of his, of his reality, that, that idea of who he is as a human, is still crying out, how long will you forget me? How long will you leave me here? How long will it be before I finally see what you have in store? But he says in the midst of all of it, verse 6, no matter what comes at me, I trust in your loving kindness. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to Adonai because he has been good to me. Notice that even as David is feeling left out, even as David is feeling like God left him behind, even as David is feeling like God has forgotten about him, that he says, I will still praise you because I know that this is just a season that I'm in. I will still praise you because I know you are good to me even when I feel like I'm on my own, that you are good to me, that you are protecting me, that you are watching out for me. Shortly hereafter, we come across Psalm 23 in which we see David's heart begin to change, but it's the same attitude of I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I know I'm supposed to be in God's promises and in God's blessing and in God's calling, but where I am, I'm going to rejoice anyways. I'm going to patiently wait for what he has in store. Adonai is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff come for me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you have anointed my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Adonai forever even in the midst of the crap that he finds himself in the pain and the anguish and the sorrow the attacks of the enemy and whatever else it is he still knows that there's so much in store for him in the house of Adonai and the blessings of Adonai, and the promises of Adonai, and no matter what, he is going to rejoice, and he is going to wait patiently for the fullness of what God has in store. That doesn't mean that David didn't then mess things up. That doesn't mean that David didn't then try to take things into his own hands, but when he did, he recognized rather swiftly where he went wrong, and went back to that place of, God, I'm sorry, I got ahead of you, I tried to make it happen in my time, you take over. I will wait patiently for you. We even see this idea come from Yeshua in Matthew 27, beginning with verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Did the Lord abandon him? Not in the least. Did Yeshua not know that this was coming? Not in the least. He absolutely knew what was in store for him. And just before this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done, not mine. I will do whatever the Father wants of me. The reality is, is that we as believers, we as followers of Yeshua, we as 
people in the house of God know that there are promises in store for us. Many of us have direct callings that God has given us. Uh, my calling is to be a, a leader, a rabbi, a congregational leader. My calling is to have planted the synagogue and to see it become what God has in store for it. My calling is to be a teacher. My calling is to shepherd. And I know that. And I've known that for a very long time. And, and there were years that I ran from that calling because I didn't want anything to do with it. I watched how people treated congregational leaders and I didn't want that in my life. I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want the pain and the anguish that goes along with getting stabbed in the back or getting lied about or getting pushed around or getting uh, called all kinds of things. I didn't want all the pain and the anguish that goes with being a congregational leader. But I knew what my calling was. And there came a time where I wrestled with whether or not I was going to walk in what God had in store and what he wanted for me or if I was going to walk away from it. And finally, I cried out to the Lord and said, I give up. I give up. You keep shutting every door that I think is an opportunity for my life down until ultimately I accept the one door that you want me to open, the one door that you've got waiting for me the entire time and to walk through. And at that moment, I decided I was going to follow God's call and will for my life and become a Messianic rabbi. And I thought that the moment I said yes, the moment I said I'm going to follow what God has called me to do, that everything was going to be smooth sailing, that everything was going to be easy from there. I'm sure Noah thought the same thing. Who can, it's, a, it's a boat. I'm going to build a boat. It's going to get wet. Maybe people will come. Maybe they won't. It can't be that big of a deal. A year later, finally the door opens and he gets sanity in the air around him again. I thought the moment I said yes that everything was going to be easy. A decade of struggle and turmoil and every door that I thought was supposed to be open in front of me, feeling like it was being closed and getting pushed away because I was too young or, uh, or, or, or whatever, most of it was I was too young, but getting pushed away for all of these different issues, the whole time I'm crying out, oh God, why? Why? You called me to do this. Why isn't, why isn't the puzzle coming together? Why, isn't things, why aren't things going the way they're supposed to be? And I kept sending out the dove and the raven, and waiting for the ground to dry up so that I could walk forward in what God had in store. And finally came the day where God said, all right, now I'm going to open the door, and you can walk through it. But it took waiting for God to open that door up. Nothing came easy in that period of time leading up to, but once that door came open, all of a sudden things started to fall in place. All of a sudden, all of the things I needed to happen happened the way they needed to happen in his timing and in his way and according to his will. And it just took me getting out of his way and allowing him to work. In John chapter 21, we see that the disciples are wrestling with the reality that here this man that they have followed for three and a half years in ministry, that they have watched heal people, that they wholeheartedly believed was the Messiah, they wholeheartedly believed was God himself in flesh. Here, they see that the Messiah has died. Here they see that the Messiah has been buried. And as far as they know, they don't know what's going on. He's appeared to them a few times. They're not really sure what they think about that. They're not really solidified on whether this was a ghost or if it was Yeshua re uh, reincarnated or Yeshua resurrected or what. But they know that what they thought they were supposed to be doing, what they thought was going to happen, has all come to what appeared to be an end and a close. And when everything seemed to fall apart, all of a sudden, in uh, John chapter 21, we see that uh, Peter goes, hey, I'm going to go back to fishing. 
remember what else to do. It's what I knew before. That's what I did before this crazy dude called me to follow him. And now he's gone. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go back fishing. I'm going to go back to what I did before. So he says, I'm going fishing. The, the others say, I, we're coming with you too. They went out and got into a boat. And that night they caught nothing. At dawn, Yeshua stood, uh, Yeshua stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Yeshua. So Yeshua said to them, boys, you don't happen to have any fish, do you? No, they answered him. He said to them, throw the net off the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they threw the net off uh, and they were not able to haul it in because the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Yeshua loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around himself for he was stripped down for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat from about 200 cubits offshore, dragging the net full of fish. And next, we see the, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The restoration of Peter to his call. And we see this whole image of what the Lord was calling him to do. But what's really neat is that Peter was brokenhearted because everything he thought was going to happen, everything that Yeshua said was going to occur, he thought had collapsed around his feet. He thought that it was all over. And the only thing he could think was, I'll just go back to what I used to do. At least it's safe there. And then came the moment where God said, all right, I haven't forgotten about you, Peter. I haven't forgotten about the disciples. I haven't forgotten about any of this. And that door was opened up. And when that door opened up by the divine hand of the Lord, there was Yeshua. And Peter recognized it and instantly dove into the waters to swim as fast as he could to the shores and to rush into the loving embrace of Yeshua. But it took the pieces being in the right place. It took God's will and timing for everything to play out. I imagine that the disciples would have loved to have done anything in their power to make what God promised was going to become a reality happen the moment that Yeshua died. I imagine that during the weeks that uh, transpired from there to the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh and on Shavuot and Acts 2, that the disciples would have done anything they could have to make it happen then. But they learned very quickly when Yeshua appeared to them at the shores while they were back in their old ways fishing that if we just wait patiently, God will open the door. And that's exactly what he did. He opened up the floodgates and the Ruach HaKodesh came pouring out. I imagine even heavier of a rain and an outpouring than that that Noah experienced when the floods came upon him. Many times we are longing for the fulfillment of God's promise. We're yearning for what He's told us we're going to do or what He's got in store for us. And we want more than anything to make it happen and we keep getting in the way. And God just wants us to be patient and wait on Him. Deuteronomy 31, we talked about this a few weeks back. Verse 6, Chazak, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble before them. For Adonai, your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. You may feel like God has forgotten you. You may be in a season of your life where you feel like God has left you out in the dark all on your own and all alone. You may be in a season of your life where you're awaiting what the next phase is and what the next thing God's got in store for you. You may be sitting in a season of your life where you're looking around you thinking, how has my life not gotten better than this yet? Why am I still in the same way, in the same problems, in the same place over and over and over and over again? And the Lord's looking down and saying, just like he did to Noah, I have not forgotten you. 
I will never leave you or forsaken you as he says to Israel in Deuteronomy 31. I go before you. I prepare the way. Simply wait on me to open the door. Because when I open the door, everything will go as it's supposed to. When I open the door, my will gets done. When I open the door, the world will see my might and my power in your life and in your calling. And in closing, Romans 8.37, and I think that this, the heart that Paul has in looking at the fact that so many of Paul's letters were trying to correct errors and issues that had arisen in the body of Messiah because we are humans and we try to make things happen the way we want. We try to make things say what we want it to say. And Paul's trying to fix all these errors. I think in a lot of ways, Paul's words in, in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and Corinthians and so on are very similar to what we read about to Noah. I've not forgotten you. What we read about to Israel, be strong and courageous and faithful and trust in me that I have you. And Paul is speaking here in Romans 8 verse 37. But in all these things, we were more, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is the Messiah Yeshua our Lord and I want you to know today that you may be feeling like you were left out that you're left aside that you're left alone you may feel like God has forgotten you but he's telling you that as long as you are in the blood of the lamb that nothing Nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. Nothing can separate you from what He has in store for you. Nothing can separate you from the promises that He's spoken over you. Nothing can separate you from His love, from His embrace, from His salvation. Nothing can separate you from His eternal kingdom. But He just wants you to rest in Him, be patient in Him, trust in Him. The time will come that he will open that door and you will see all of the things you've been crying out for happening and falling into place as you, as you feel like the Lord's told you it's going to occur. You're praying for your family's salvation. You're praying for healing. You're praying for whatever it may be. Our congregation is still waiting for this monster growth that the Lord has promised to us and spoken over and over again through person after person after person to this synagogue. And we are waiting and we are waiting and we're watching God move. And we can try to make it happen all we want. You can try to make the things in your life happen all you want. But if it's not in God's timing, if he hasn't opened the door, nothing will come from it. It doesn't matter how many ravens or doves you send out. When it's God's time, he will open the door. And the Lord is saying, be patient, be faithful, and trust in him. Because he is faithful no matter what. He is faithful no matter what. He will not let you die. He will not let you drown. He will not let you fall away. He simply wants you to rest in Him and trust in His will and His ways. And He has everything under control. Wait for that door to open. Be patient and stop trying to push it. A lot of times we as believers are trying to kick at the door like a SWAT team. And nothing we can do is going to open that door up until God's timing and until he opens it up and allows us to come through but when he does nothing can hold us back when he does the possibilities are limitless we went from six uh, from three dudes and three ladies on this ark to six billion people on the face of the earth the possibilities are limitless if we simply trust in God and allow him to work in his will in his way and his timing Amen. Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for 
always be encouraging to us and speaking uh, your truth and revelation to us. Father, we thank you that your word rings true no matter what generation we live in, no matter how far we are in the distant future from when these events occurred in your word. But Father, we recognize that you are in control and that you are ever faithful and that we can trust in you. So Lord, I pray that you encourage each and every one of us hearing these words today to trust you and wait for you to open the door in our lives that we may pass through into your blessing, into your promises, and ultimately to see you fulfill your calling for our lives in our lives. Father, I pray that many will come to know your saving grace because of us waiting faithfully for you to move and us taking the opportunity to rejoice and the reality of where you've placed us now and not constantly longing for what's ahead, but to be able to operate and, and, and be uh, happy and resting in this place that we're in now and taking every divine opportunity you put before us here and now to touch as many lives as possible while we await for that door to open for what you've put in our path in the future. Father, we thank you that you are ever faithful, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you have called us to be chazak, to be courageous and strong and to walk faithfully in your ways. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.